Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Today on the show, I had Francis Puglia. He literally got involved over five or six years ago and founded the Bitcoin Embassy, Bulls, Bull Bitcoin, spoke in front of the Senate of Canada and one of the pioneers and formidable people involved in getting regulations passed and getting Canada's government to say Bitcoin is now money. This is the guy. And we talked about that and Backpage and the early sex workers, Silk Road history that we cannot deny and we cannot ignore. We have to talk about the early days in history. And so I'm Charlie Schreiman. I'll talk to you guys just right in a minute. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. I'm here today with Francis Pouliot. Francis, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. And you pronounced my name perfectly. Did I do it okay? I was yeah, practicing it right totally. before I said it. <laughs> no, you'd be, I try to put an emphasis on it. I think because, I think because it's such an interesting space that we got ourselves into, um, in that, um, I never really had to worry about how to pronounce people's names, you know, growing up in school, just growing, just where I grew, lived and, you know, normally the names are very similar to you. So here we are, I'm, I've interviewed like a hundred people so far and Every single person I have to ask that question to. And it's really great because I, it makes me remember that we're in this space that it doesn't matter what like the color of your skin is or your sexual preference or your, 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 your uh, race or your religion or your, it doesn't really matter, you know? No, what matters most is your Twitter avatar. <laughs> yes, your Twitter avatar matters, matters the most. Um, yeah, so I was saying this morning, I was just, kind of like texting friends about about bitcoin and and i was like now i'm pointing it in their faces about i said you know like how's everything going did you did your bitcoin go up you know and everyone's everyone's really excited about it um but it's it's kind of like a a bittersweet thing for you um you know you and the i have to say that there are very few people that can really empathize what you're what you you know that tweet and what you what you're going through now that you have to shut down your business because of the new laws and regulations, that same messaging that you put out, you know, you, you were such a pioneer and I'm going to let you talk and take over such a pioneer in starting the first and largest payment processor in Canada, like five or six years ago. And when, when this was still like such a baby little technology thing, um, now, because a lot of the laws that you helped put together, you've had to shut this down. And, you know, how does that make you feel? Is it, are you sad, happy, uh, bittersweet oh, well, legacy? I like, I, I didn't have to shut it down. I think, uh, I hope my tweet didn't get misinterpreted. Uh, my, so my tweet was that it's my last day as an unregulated um, virtual currency dealer. But today I'm a regulated cur- virtual currency dealer. Oh, wow. So, 
So we're still in business. Shit. I actually, oops. Um, I mean, uh, gosh darn it. No, it's okay. Uh, really, <laughs> so it, it really seemed like it, but you know what? Now it even makes for a better conversation because what, yeah. what's the difference now? Like what, what do you have to do differently? Tell me, oh, we're jumping so ahead, but you know what? Let's, let's start there anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, there's actually not that much different. It's actually a good place to start because, as you said, it's kind of like a full circle thing. And that's what I was kind of reflecting on. So my tweet was something like, um, uh, I used to be an unregulated um, uh, virtual currency dealer. Now I'm, I'm regulated. But um, when I got into Bitcoin, uh, the first thing that I was doing was kind of being a, a lobbyist. Um, I wasn't an entrepreneur at the time. I was uh, uh, helping yeah. a bunch of entrepreneurs, including the 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 early um, founder of Bills um, navigate these these regulations and uh, most importantly establish like a, a narrative for Bitcoin that would ensure friendly regulations in the future. Um, and the regulations that we got are really not bad um, to be to be perfectly honest. Uh, they are essentially our, our narrative was Bitcoin is money and we don't want to be treated in any differently than any um, other money. Uh, we don't want any special privileges. We don't want Bitcoin to be forced uh, into shops, or we don't want Bitcoin to be mandatory in any way, uh, and we don't want any um, any discrimination uh, against Bitcoin. So, if you're going to treat the USD and the Euro and the Canadian dollar in, in such a way, um, Bitcoin should be treated the same way. So, we didn't want any special bit license type of arrangement. Bit license was specifically made for Bitcoin. It wasn't about um, uh, recognizing Bitcoin as a currency. It was about making a new framework for Bitcoin. Whereas we were, our mindset was more like, hey, there's already laws regulating, you know, the local currency exchange on the corner of your street that's changing money for euros, uh, the money service business laws. So how about we just, you know, sneak in Bitcoin in there and everything's good. Like we're regulated now. So you want, so that, that's what we did. It's, a, it's like going back in 2012 and or 11 and saying to the U.S. government, we, you know, like make us money transmitters, make us the most regulated yes. thing you possibly can now. Yes. Yes. That, 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 was, that was a general idea. Um, it was because we knew that Bitcoin was always going to be regulated in some way, shape or form. There was no, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm still a little bit, I got to get a little flack, you know, on Twitter and Reddit yesterday being like, oh, you're, you're pro-government, you're statist, uh, you're saying that the regulations are good. I'm like, guys, of course, I don't think the regulations are good. I wish there was no regulation. But the world doesn't care what I want. There is there is such a thing as this huge bureaucratic state apparatus which regulates everything it sees. And this is the environment we evolve we evolve in. And the best we can do is to have the least damage to Bitcoin, is to have the least compliance burden possible. But they're going to happen in a, anyway. There, there's no there's no going around it. So um, the the re, the kind of regime that we got is kind of like money transmitters um, in the U.S. It doesn't change much, to be honest. Um, CoinJoin is still perfectly fine. Like it's it's okay to be mixing coins on our on our services in and out. Um, it's okay to use Tor. Uh, you don't even need, you don't need to give an ID if you're not doing more than a thousand bucks per transaction. So for the vast majority of users, I mean, it's very privacy friendly. Um, the the thing that you just like start dumping hundreds of grands, you know, millions of dollars worth of coins and expect to be anonymous. That's the one thing you can't do. Um, but, uh, it, it, the, the one thing that I think is the difference, the main difference between being regulated and not regulated is now it's unambiguous that, you know, we're in trouble. 
if we screw up. That's that's unambiguous. In Canada, it's a little bit different than in the States. Which is probably for the best anyways, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, guys like you in the States was like, you know, for maybe I'll talk a little bit. But my, my, I started a little bit, you know, like like Charlie in the early days. It's where the same we were progression, doing, except you got yeah. regulated. I had to shut down. Yes, yes, exa- exactly. And and I think if I had been um, in your shoes, I would probably have had the same um, the same path going, the, the enforcement path uh, that, that you had on your side. I think being in Canada was definitely like my saving grace because I was a little, re- everybody was a little bit reckless in the early days. Um, not, you know, not in a bad way. Just, but just figuring out what's, you know, what, what are your fees and limits? What are your, you know, how to do compliance, things like that. You know, it's just all kind of like it was, there's no clarity. There was, at least in the U.S., there was no clarity because, there's so many different types of businesses that are involved in money. And then every state, every, all of all 50 states, they regulate them differently. So here I am like in 2013 and the money service business uh, on a federal level comes out and says like, yeah, Bitcoin is now considered money or whatever it was. And I got an email from my lawyer saying like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, what are my options? And they said, well, you can shut down now. Uh, and great, you know, like hopefully tell, you know, it works out okay for you or you can keep going. We can't represent you. Um, or you can close and then try to get the licenses and reopen back up. And so I tried for the latter, but six months later before I, t- actually I was flying in to restart BitInstant. BitInstant was like a day away from relaunching, uh, but yeah. I got arrested. So, yeah, I, but yeah, for no, the that, better, that, I didn't want to do that business anymore. Anyways, it's a, it's a, it's a oh, rough it's, business it's here. A in, dude. Business. It's, it's, it's a shit business. Absolutely. Yeah, it's shit it's business. A, I don't want to say it's, that. It's, <laughs> If, no, it's a fucking shit business, man. And like, there's all, all, all sorts of guys that come into the business and they're like, eventually everybody that's in Bitcoin real brokerage level, you know, it's, it's, it's operating apps like BitInstant, like Bitcoin. that's where you make the, the most money. And they're like, oh, should we, should we launch this thing to finance our other projects? I'm like, guys, like, do you want to have a girlfriend? Do you want to have a life? Do you want to sleep well? Do yeah. you want to be healthy? Yes. Don't do this. This is the worst thing. Um, a lot of the the OGs that are, that were operating all these kind of smaller businesses, um, Canada, like QuickBT and a bunch of other ones, like they're all gradually closing down because like after five years of this stuff, you feel like retire. It's imagine being a CEO is like the hardest job you can do, but a CEO in a Bitcoin company is extremely difficult because you have to deal with all sorts of uncertainty and you have to read up, you know, if you're CEO of a Bitcoin company, you can't like trust your tech guys. Like that's not how it yeah. works. You need to yourself be involved in these debates, learn how to that's use. That's a big problem you know, with, with yeah. that. No one ever talks about. Can we, can I just uh, talk about that yeah. for a second really quickly? What you just said is so important. So if guys, li- all the listeners, any company that's, that's operating in and around your Bitcoin, what you guys have to realize, and it takes to, you know, I, I didn't realize it. Um, and Francis knows it is that you like what he just said. You don't just, you have to, you can't just trust your developers because there are private keys involved. Now there's encryption involved. Now you have to trust your developers to not put in back doors. You know, there's all these issues. How many exit scams happen from developers? You think, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And like, you, you can't trust your developers um, to not put malicious code and you can't trust mal- the developers also to make decisions about, you know, what's the appropriate level of privacy I want for my users? What's the appropriate level of security you want for the users? Um, what's our policy on forks? What's our policy on lightning? All sorts of things like that. Um, you have to you have to do that yourself, right? Um, and 
What's our policy on forks? You know, like Coinbase, a trillion, you know, multiple billion dollar company or whatever their valuation is that's going to IPO. They're probably, everyone thinks that they're coming up with like, they're in these border rooms figuring out these solutions. I mean, there's like, it probably went down like this. Shit, guys, someone just forked Bitcoin into this Satoshi Vision <laughs> shitcoin. What the hell do we do? Like, and yeah. it was like Brian saying, this is what I think. Like, it just, there was yeah. no, there's no precedent for this stuff. It's just, no. you got to like figure it out as you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's why, that's why you have to be super, super, super involved in the community, kind of have your, your finger on the pulse all the time. Because when these events happen, um, you need to react super quickly. And then the one thing with Bitcoin is that it never forgets that Bitcoin has a very long memory. I think we, we've seen I that. I love that. That's a great quote. Yeah, like the Bitcoiners, they, it's their life. Like a lot of Bitcoiners see Bitcoin as their, their, their revolution, their personal life mission. Um, you know, people tell me, come up to me sometimes and say, yo, I'm willing, I'm willing to die for Bitcoin. You know, I'm, I'm willing to, to, you know, to, to go out for the cause and stuff like that. People take it very, very seriously. So um, your actions in Bitcoin, there's all sorts of random anonymous people that are looking at you and they're like, you better not fuck up, man, because if you fuck up, we're going to remember forever. And we're going to haunt you forever. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you know, if you make mistakes in Bitcoin, you got all these little anonymous ghosts on Twitter that are going to just remind you for the rest of your life that you fucked up. So it's, it's really hard. And then if you add the banking components to that, the chargebacks, you know, the banks freezing your, your, your funds all over the place all the time, and then the access to information requests from law enforcement and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, it's a shit job. <laughs> I would much rather. Uh, I, I started to work on open source projects more and more um, and trying to switch my time over to these things because these are projects where I don't have to worry about like, you know, my compliance. entire business. The clients too. The clients. clients no, are, I said compliance. I remember oh, telling myself, I was like oh, sitting yeah. in jail and I said to myself, man, I'm never becoming a barber just because you need a license to cut hair. Anything yeah. that requires a license, I'm not <laughs> doing anymore. Oh, totally, totally. The, it's insane the amount of time that I've spent in my life dealing with government permissions. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's unreal in a way. I was a libertarian like before I, I, I got into Bitcoin, before I, I launched my own business. Can you imagine the degree on a daily basis? Just like yeah. whatever I want. It's always, it's always something government yeah. related. You know, the pen cup from a bank I got kicked out of, but at least I got to keep the cup. Yeah, I mean, I got kicked out of so many banks. It's on a, on a when I was doing my that, that's when I bank when I started in Bitcoin. I was I was a libertarian, so I was like, thanks to private business. So I don't have anything against the private business. Yeah, but I didn't understand money at all first. I didn't understand money and how it worked and and the whole um, Austrian economic monetary Bitcoin. I I discovered that part of economics after Bitcoin. Um, I was more of a traditional free market anti-regulation person. I wasn't really into money that much. Um, and the, um, just, just the general hubris of the cartel of the banks, um, this, this, the fact that the banks are, at least in Canada, I mean, it's not the same in the US, but is this in Canada, the banks have this special um, law that allows them to operate and no one, no one else can operate. And if you're kicked out of a bank in Canada, they treat you like dog shit. Is there like a, list, like a, a list service month? that tells the banks that you've been kicked out of other banks? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, I, got kicked, I got kicked out of three banks on the same day. I'm sorry. This isn't a coincidence. Like that was just so obvious to me. Yeah. Um, fair enough. I was doing local bitcoins and stuff, which was against their terms. But um, so, I mean, I'm not going to. Like, you could almost you know, like feel 
feel the account getting ready to close. It's when you get the random yeah. compliance check. They just yeah, want to know yeah, a few yeah. more questions about your transactions. Yeah. And then you get the then you get the certified letter. Oh, that certified yeah. letter. When it comes from the bank, you know what that is. Yeah, yeah, you're screwed. <laughs> you're a dead man walking. What and was then, it? And then they give you 30 days. So then you're like, all right, at least I had 30 days. Sometimes I fought for six. One time, one time they gave me 90 days. I'm like, damn, this is just like I get to keep my bank account for another 90 days. It's not a bad thing. It's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is good. And then the worst part of it is in, in one of my cases, they're like, uh, I'll give you a check. They didn't want let me withdraw the money in any way, shape, or form. Just a check. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with the check? Where am I going to go? cash this in. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. And, um, they even closed my credit card, uh, wow. just because I was associated to Bitcoin. So that really made me anti-bank super. Uh, and then, you know, I started to, to kind of, um, uh, accelerate my, my brokerage activities in 2015 in the summer. Um, that, that, that's, that's a good also story. That what was, sure what, what was, the, yeah. Tell me the story. And what was your first, what was the first business model too? But I want to hear the story. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the first business model was the Bitcoin embassy. So the Bitcoin embassy, uh, had you been, I think you, have you been to the Bitcoin embassy? No, I haven't been to Canada uh, in 10 years. I'm kicked out uh, now. Yeah. But it, what story yeah, were no. you going to tell though? Because my, now I'm going to get emails from the listeners saying you told, you interrupted his story. No, 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 no. That, that's the story. So the Bitcoin embassy was, was this um, physical office uh, that it's, it's hard to describe what it was. It, it the, the original of the Bitcoin embassy was the, there was these three I guys. I saw videos and pictures of it, but I yeah. never got a chance to go. Some of them, some of them, you know, there was Gil Metzer and John Mark, and um, they were kind of known in those days uh, and uh, mining and stuff like that. And they had this building. John Mark had this building um, that was three stories with a basement, and he was a real estate dude, and it was empty. And they wanted to launch this kind of nonprofit to do lobbying, and then. John was like, hey, how about we use the building I have, make it a physical kind of uh, hub for activists in the Bitcoin space where they can feel safe and do their offices or corking space and events. And at the time, it was very popular to do these uh, startup kind of little hubs with VC a little bit involved and stuff like that. So let's just do this, this kind of ambiguous organization, which is the Bitcoin embassy, which is a physical space. And it has, you know, you can rent an office there and we can do meetups and all sorts of fun things like that and, you know, selling t-shirts and um, uh, Bitcoin trinkets and Bitcoin magazine. Yeah, of course. It's the dream, you know? So, uh, public relations, the um, the media stuff, the uh, uh, event organization stuff, uh, like the meetup. Um, I got hired to specifically to animate and, and organize the meetup. And then um, I was heading a little bit of um, like what BitMEX research is doing. So writing some reports and talking to the media and sending letters to the, the government senators whenever there was a hearing and, and that kind of stuff. And over time, we had this physical, beautiful physical um, office with a glass window on Santa Hall Street on the corner of Sherbrooke. So for people who know Montreal, it's basically right in the middle of the party area, like very, very visible and, and an extremely visible uh, storefront. I mean, iconic level storefront um, with big Bitcoin signs. Uh, so obviously, people would come in and they would be like, "I just want to buy Bitcoin." Can I? These buy were Bitcoin very stuff? formidable years. These were the years where yeah. like the brain was being formed, so like people's perception of Bitcoin mattered. And so I guarantee you, sure. having a physical Bitcoin embassy, a lot of those lawmakers and senators that you spoke in front of 
um, a lot of those people walked by nonchalantly the Bitcoin embassy when they're getting ice cream with their daughter or whatever, you know, yeah. and it's just, it's a subconscious thing. Uh, and that's what I was telling, that's what Nick Spano said, you know, when he started the Bitcoin center in New yeah. York, he's like, I'm yeah. not going to make any money. I'm not going to do anything from this thing. This is a losing business. But the yeah. fact that it's here and it says Bitcoin on wall street, all my other business ventures will now succeed because of it. I said, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, that, that, that was, it, it was obviously a, a, a huge loss of money for anybody involved in those physical centers at the beginning, especially... His rent was like this, 40K a month or something like that. And this was one of Bitcoin was only a few yeah. hundred dollars. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The Bitcoin embassies, uh, uh, so we were lucky enough to have the owner um, kind of donate the rent towards, the, um, you know, for the first three years. But again, yeah, it was like definitely something like 25 grand a month that, that, that was going into the rent of the Bitcoin embassy. It was a huge space. And um, you're 100% right that the fact that they had me and another, I wasn't the only one, obviously, at the beginning. There was a few other guys, but I was kind of like the, the nice, a nice presentable face. I was wearing a suit and tie kind of every day at the Bitcoin embassy. Um, and then having that big window was hugely, hugely um, influential just to yeah. say, hey, this isn't some um, hacker in a basement in the US like we see on the news. Um, uh, you got Francis, which has a to the Quebecer authorities and, and the to Canadian authorities they look at my background in economics and, and they take me very seriously and, and you show them photos of the building and you, you show them a bunch of entrepreneurs that are sitting around a coffee and you show them exactly uh, they, they see that it's like a real thing they create jobs this is going to create revenue this is you know stuff that uh, there's there's votes behind this you know there's actual uh, um, there's con- there's con- a constituency behind this um, and at the beginning, we were just doing, if you walked in the Bitcoin embassy, um, you wouldn't be able to buy Bitcoin or anything. It was just like, hey, can you set up, help me with a wallet? I lost my seed. Uh, I want to launch a business in Bitcoin. Can you guys help me? It was just like, um, we, you can call it, call it like a big filter. And the idea, the business idea behind this was everybody's going to come talk to us. The people who want to buy, the people who want to sell, the people who want to mine, the people who want to invest. Everybody's going to come talk to us. And then we're going to be able to, you know, match people together and like, you know, get into all, to all these business opportunities. So it wasn't like a purely nonprofit venture. Of course, you had a bunch of crazy libertarian capitalists that were yeah. running these things. So it was about... It was, about it was a good balance, yourself. though. Yeah, yeah, to- totally. It was, a, it was a quid pro quo, which is, hey, we're going to give you free shit and we're going to make Bitcoin great. And then the upside that we have is like, we have the insight onto who's doing what and what deals to invest in. And there was, you know, there was a, a, a lot of early Bitcoiners there. And even when Bitcoin was 200 bucks, you know, you got guys that had Bitcoin at $1. So you, they were already super wealthy dudes that wanted to invest in hash rate and stuff like that. So it was kind of a big opportunity magnet. And then I was just hired. I was paid. I wasn't an OG. Uh, I got into Bitcoin in like, um, more or less the, the early part of 2013, um, because the Bitcoin, the founders of the Bitcoin embassy were just personal friends of mine. Um, they were libertarians and I, I was doing a lot of libertarian advocacy. Uh, I was doing a lot of advocacy uh, for students' rights against the student unions. Um, and I was kind of getting famous for that. So I was like, oh my God, we need this guy like as you know, our advocate. So they, they specifically kind of recruited me to be the Bitcoin guy. And I knew not, um, in the beginning, I was purely on trust. Because these guys were, you know, Porkfest era libertarians, like for, you know, Ron Paul era libertarians. And they were like, Francis, like, it doesn't matter if you don't understand Bitcoin, just trust me. Bitcoin is the thing for you. Like, and you'll figure it out. Enough. 
yeah, yeah, exactly. You clearly have a lot of passion, and anyone who follows you on Twitter knows that you're very yeah. passionate about about your beliefs. You know, you, you you come after a lot of a lot of projects and coins and tokens and everything. Yeah. The the ones <clears throat> the ones that are have been started in Canada, like Ethereum. Does it still make you proud, even though you consider it, consider it a shitcoin? Um, no, I'm not particularly proud of of that. I mean, not 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 like, specifically. I'd be proud like, as like you know, like as a Canadian, it's like so much innovation has come out of Canada. You know, even though I don't agree or believe in that innovation, it's like why not? I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess th that's kind of like the second stage of my Bitcoin career was was the the, the philosophical. Uh, I guess the internal debates that I had around the the altcoins, which I now call the shitcoins, yeah. it's kind of a second. Uh, it's 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 different. It's different because I, I see those things as not being innovation so much anymore as being rent seeking machines, um, and that's that's kind of a different path. But definitely, there was there was a lot of innovation. I mean, at the time, I was definitely proud for sure. At the time, um, you had a bunch of other stuff going on at the Bitcoin embassy. You got Litecoin development that was going on there. Uh, Litecoin community was huge in Montreal. There was core Litecoin developers there. Um, you got the uh, Ethereum was uh, developed in, in Toronto at the uh, Bitcoin Embassy of Toronto, which was Bitcoin Central at the time. Yeah. But also the Bitcoin Embassy itself. I mean, Vitalik came by early 2014, maybe late 2013 with uh, Charles and a bunch of other people to work on um, Ethereum stuff at the Bitcoin Embassy. Um, so... No, there was there was definitely a lot of uh, a lot of innovation coming out of there, but um, my my focus was specifically um, the payment censorship. Like that was like my my number one um, focus going into uh, Bitcoin was hundred percent just censorship. It wasn't even sound money. It was whatever can can allow people to get paid without that payment being um, being stopped by by government. Because I saw looking at sound money is a very narrow view because you got to look yeah. at Bitcoin as as could be anything could be on the blockchain and like data. Yeah. So censorship, whenever I get on stage and I talk about what someone's like, what's Bitcoin? I say, wait, let me explain to you. Censorship resistant and why that's so important. That's like where I start too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the sound money aspect of Bitcoin came just a little bit later, actually, because when I, uh, after I got into Bitcoin, um, I I started to 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 need to explain Bitcoin. So kind of like my career was, hey, hey Francis, stop being stop working in economics and and public policy and advocacy, and like come work for us and be our economics dude and public advocate dude. Like okay, and then um, uh, the first thing I had to do was I like two months after I got hired or one month after I got hired, I had to do a TED talk on Bitcoin um, in early 2014. I'm like. Fuck. <laughs> I know nothing about Bitcoin. Like, really? So I, I saw, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I mean, I knew enough about Bitcoin in the sense that I had, I owned Bitcoin, I had bought Bitcoin on Mongox, and like, I did the whole. Um, and I just got hired to work as a Bitcoin public policy guy. I know, I know what a private key is. I know what a public key is. I kind of understand how mining. But, but I didn't obviously understand how mining works. Yeah, but, but everyone who gives TED Talks, they're always like ambiguous, you know, yeah. like up in the clouds, like here, I figured out how to cure cancer. If we could only do this, <laughs> I'm like, great. At the end of the talk. So like, you don't really have to get, I've given a TEDx talk. You don't have to, to get specific. No, no, we, no, I'm just teasing. We, I love those. No, 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 but you're right. You're right. There's, there, there's no questions from the public. So I'm like, no. okay, I, 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 I can, I can pull it off. And then I started to watch the Mike Maloney, uh, you know Mike Maloney's um, Hidden Secrets of Money YouTube yeah, yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I was like, wow, I have a master's degree in like economics and policy. And I had never heard about the process of money creation in a way that was described like him. And I mean, it's silly because you think about these YouTube videos as being for the plebs that are not educated economists. But trust me, like in economics at university, you don't learn at all the process of money creation. And I was really, really mind blown by, by the process of money creation. But first and foremost, it was censorship resistance was like the key for me. So that's why even in today's like, is Bitcoin cash or is Bitcoin gold? And I'm just like, it's definitely just both guys. Like it's, it's absolutely both. Um, there's no trade-off between one or the other, as far as I'm concerned, like we can have the censorship. If, you know, if censorship resistance floats your boat, that's great. You, Bitcoin is for you. If, if the number go up, Bitcoin price go up, uh, everything becomes cheap over time because there's no inflation in Bitcoin. Is that if that's what you know the sound money aspect? If that's what you want out of Bitcoin, that's perfect. You can have uh, you can have that part of Bitcoin. Um, but then um, yeah, so uh, you, you know if you're running this kind of like to go back to like the physical store, I mean, what people really wanted was to buy Bitcoin. Like that's yeah. what people want. I mean, that and that's also part of the reflection about like doing advocacy and and education. Um, I was like. I don't, this Bitcoin really sells itself in a way. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun to, to, we were doing all sorts of like pro Bitcoin stuff. Of time trying to get people to learn about Bitcoin and to get to, to know and love Bitcoin in the beginning. And we're doing like the Bitcoin airdrop and all sorts of fun things. But ultimately there was already a huge demand for Bitcoin. And the, the problem of the industry was not people don't want Bitcoin. The problem was people want Bitcoin, but they can't use it. They can't buy it. It's really, a, it's, it's really hard. I mean, BitInstant was, you know, genius at the time, like how to buy Bitcoin. I mean, that was the key. That's what, that's what Bitcoin needed. Bitcoin needed BitInstant. And then the Bitcoin ATMs after that, that was just the big waves. Like the Bitcoin needed Bitcoin ATMs for people to Someone, drop the bill in, in it. I was doing a, I, you just reminded me of a funny story. I was doing like um, an NPR talk about, you know, death, sex and money. And she goes, she said to me, she said, you know, Charlie, like I read about your whole life. Why should I, why should anyone have trusted you back then? And I said, to be honest, if I look at BitInstance website now, I would not, tr I would not use that site. Like, it just looked like a scam. But it was a one page site that was thrown together HTML by moi, by me. And I'm not an engineer in any sense of the word. Like, just yeah. li I'm literally... The definition of a script kitty. So here you have this company is doing like we're doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a day on this like site on this one page site that was just the site was built like this. It was a piece of paper, and we said, "What labels do we need to have? Okay, how much Bitcoin you want? How many dollars you have? Where is the money coming from? Where is it yeah. going?" And yeah, we probably have the pictures of ourselves on the bottom. And literally, yeah. I sat there drawing like so. Our first site was just. But we built the companies, we built the products, you built yeah. bills, you built these because you needed them for Bitcoin yeah. to succeed. These were products that you and I needed for, for us. They weren't, we weren't building them for other people, we're building them for ourselves. Yeah, and, and there, there, was, there was also like overwhelming demand for these. Can you kind of like take me in the moment of like right before you got, how does, how does one, you know, speak in front of the Canadian Senate? How does that happen? Do you get an email? Do you have to get, do you just show up? How does that work? Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a great story. That, that was already the beginning of, I, I had just been in Bitcoin for about six months when this whole thing <laughs> happened. So things, things you were things really thrown into this thing like crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. And from that point on, there was, you know, it was my whole entire life. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, knew, I knew how to get into the Senate. I mean, from, from having been in a, in a research institute in economics, um, whose main kind of like um, modus operandi or, or whose, whose main job was to get in front of parliament to advocate for free market reforms and stuff like that. I knew how to do that. Um, so I saw that they launched the, the study and I just kept emailing them. And I kept emailing them and saying, hey, like I represent this organization. I insisted. I was just, I was just really insistent on, um, you need to talk to us. And this is the kind of people that you, you want to talk to. And I send them a list of people that they should invite. And then you have to think of people. They care really about one thing is they, they, they want to make sure their job is to get a representative um, uh, sample of the industry. Uh, and that's what they're paid for. And if it happens that they invite one faction or the other, they're in trouble. Like these are interns that are making schedules. These are like low-level people that are that are booking. Uh, the senator himself is not deciding who gets to speak, right? It's it's the low-level people, and they don't want to be in trouble. And they got me, who was like, "Hey, I work in economics. I work as a public policy person. Um, here's a list of different factions you have in Bitcoin. So this is like Bitcoin ATMs. This is Bitcoin miners, and we are like in the middle. We're the nonprofit guys, and you should invite all of us." To the um, to the the hearings and like great that's a great list and it just kind of ended up going down that list and inviting uh, it's funny like when I went to the Senate you had me Guillaume Jillian Michael Perkling and Stu Hogner which were all five of us were basically the, the same exact viewpoint you know and yeah we, we had we I had was surprised by that yeah and like we but we had organized ourselves before we were like okay let's go in five of us at the same time you're gonna cover this aspect I'm gonna cover this aspect um you know we were very strategic about like having a super fucking on point message and, 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 and it, it was very stressful because we definitely felt like these, this event was the first recorded kind of session. It was the first, a lot of power. It has almost no power. Um, it it really just kind of makes recommendations, but it was, it was very crucial because that study ended up being what's cited in the laws later. We knew that this was going to be the one kind of document that people were going to use like what is the bitcoin community's position on uh, topic x or topic y um and it was super stressful it was it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life i mean coming out of there we were super high on villain it, it was it was really wonderful um it, it it definitely made us feel like we we were doing a difference it was super motivating um for for all of us and it, it ended up doing a, a a real lot of good because the senators um some of the senators bought bitcoin by the way afterwards yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and it was, it was just, fantastic. what was that? It, it, it opened the doors also to be the other government agencies from that point on, there was no doubt in the government's mind that me and Guillaume were, um, the people that you need to talk to. And it was so like, I snuck in some parts of the crypto anarchist manifesto in my speech. Like it was kind of like a private, we were super Trojan. Oh yeah, you threw stuff. some like terms in there and some lines. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know yeah. that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like, a, there's a little Easter egg in there about, um, uh, when the, the Copernicus manifesto, they say about the future of neg- negotiating electronic smart contracts that you can't, uh, that you can't, uh, renegade on. And, um, we were like, Oh my God, like we, we did it. Like we were radicals. We were super radical libertarian guys. And we we're just like, Oh my God, we just, Oh man. Uh, put ourselves as the guys that they're going to come to. And this was, we wanted to avoid uh, the, what people know today as kind of like the blockchain consulting kind of type. 
the Lloyd's PWC type. Yeah, 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 yeah. The permission chains and stuff. Yeah, we wanted those people to not be the. the it was important that we would be the face of Bitcoin and not them. Um, and we would definitely, I, I definitely recognize that you know we were we were giving ourselves titles that we don't that we can't have, you know, you can't call yourself the ambassador of Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't have ambassadors. Bitcoin is decentralized, but we were still doing it, right? We were still saying like, hey, I am the representative of the Bitcoin community. And we had no right to do that. But the thing is, no one complained ever, right? So because we were doing a good job, like no one came to me and says, hey, you can't speak on my behalf. Like that never happened. Um, it happened with the Bitcoin Foundation, for example, like all the shit that the Bitcoin Foundation got, um, yeah. The Bitcoin Embassy never got that 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 flag because um, we were consistency uh, consistently like libertarian and, and cypherpunk, and um, uh, so you know if 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 I'm the one who's saying hey I represent the Bitcoin community no one around me is complaining um, and you know uh, I'm the guy who's on TV you know boom you're in and then once you're in you can start to sneak in the 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 message, right? The core value proposition message of Bitcoin at this institutional level. And it, it gets adopted. It, you know, like the, really the regulations we have at the Canada level are not that bad. I mean, they're, 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 they're good. They're, 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 they're well, the people at the Ministry of Finance and at FinTrack, you know, these are guys and, and, and women uh, that have been studying Bitcoin since 2014. And when they study Bitcoin and they, when the regulators, they study these things, you know, it's my, yeah. it's my YouTube videos they're watching. They're watching my YouTube videos. They're coming to my meetups. They're reading my reports and, you know, the ideology, it definitely seeps in. I mean, they become Bitcoiners. They buy Bitcoin and then Bitcoin goes up and then they're like, oh shit, Bitcoin went up. I'm a Bitcoiner. And buy and I'm more. Also regulated. I yeah, I gotta buy more. People have been buying, like they just keep buying, you know, but I, I wanted to, a lot of, you know, there's a, there was a protester recently here who had like a sign that said, Bitcoin fixes this, you know, what's going on in the U S with yeah. George Floyd and you have protesting yeah. all, I've never seen protesting this bad. You know, I grew up in New yeah. York and I've never seen demonstrations. Like they looted the dispensary who loots a dispensary uh, down the road. I know. Yeah. Right. They loot yeah. like champs, sneaker stores and all, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, well, it doesn't matter. So my question, it, it very much matters. And so a lot of you're in Canada looking down at us and not like looking down on like you're just physically in the north. Um, and you're looking at us now and, and, and a lot of the people, what's going on right now uh, in the U.S. is coming down to like um, inequality, you know, race inequality, wealth inequality, yeah. gender inequality. Yeah. But there's this huge amount of inequality. And I even remember saying to myself before COVID happened, I said, they're going to put a stimulus package through. And what that's going to do is it's going to further like disenfranchise the middle class is just going to go away because, you know, when you print money, it benefits the really, really rich and the really, really poor. It doesn't benefit anyone in between. Um, so you have now the craziness going on. And what a lot of people in the U.S. are saying is we need to follow like the Canada model, you know, equality. If we have the Canada model, if we have social safety nets, you know, and take 50 percent of our taxes. And so you're up in Canada and you don't have as many of the issues with social inequality that we have here. Do you see your model is like you're an economist. Is that the, the solution or what is not what is the solution of the of the current events, but like. More government. Is that something we should be wanting or fearing in this in the time of the day that we're in right now? D definitely fearing, definitely not wanting. So um, 
the the thing with the U.S. that that's that's interesting is like everything's more extreme in the U.S. Everything's more intense than that's the most than understatement other of the year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and the thing is, yeah, you get the worst protests in the world. You, well, not in the world, but in the let's call it the Western world, right? The very violent. Well, it's you know, there's crazy shit going on in France also, but I mean, it, it's 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 more rough in the U.S. Perhaps because there's there's access to firearms, which is I think is a good thing generally. But I mean, there's just a culture of rebellion in the U.S. People are just tougher people. Let's just be honest. Like, um, people don't take shit uh, as easily as in Europe or in Canada. And and you, you've got, you've got this constitution, you've got this history of rebellion. So it's still more intense in the U.S. But the bad, the good sides are intense as well and extreme as well. Like you you have no other country that produces this insane technological innovation, this insane industry. I, I, the U.S. has been consistently producing the best shit in the world, um, leading in, in, in every sector almost uh, for, for, for 50, 100 years. And even if they're leading in the bad sectors like, you know, military interventions and, and uh, droning villages, you know, there's not yeah. only countries that are as good as destruction as the US, but at the same time there's there's almost no place on earth which is as good as creation and creativity and innovation as the US. So it's definitely like two edged sword. But the thing is in in, in in Canada there is there is still uh this social inequality very 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 much. Um it's just that the the social class in Canada that, that has a bunch of the money is the class that is able to suck subsidies out of the out of the government. And this is not like a metaphor. If you go where I live in Montreal, there's the higher up you are to the mountain, like close to the mountain, the richer you are. And you go up in these rich neighborhoods and it's all TV personalities. It's all high level bureaucrats. High level bureaucrats are paid, um, you know, six figure salaries a year. Um, it's all the union, the union people. Um, and, and you've got this kind of social class of like 200,000, 250,000 people. We call it the Quebec Inc. Um, it, the, the redistribution of wealth doesn't go to the to the person uh, at the bottom. It goes to the industry, you know, the strategic sectors of the industry. And what that is is that's just businesses, right? So it's taking hmm. the wealth from everyone and uh, giving it strategically to businesses. And in terms of just general like welfare state, like Canada's fucked hard. Like our schools suck. Our hospitals are really bad. Like pe what people think that. Canada has good hospitals. No, no, do not think that um, at all. Like people are literally dying in their shit and piss. It's like third world level hospitals. It's really, really bad. Um, there's, it, it, it's, it's good. Like I would say if you get cancer, you're Canada you're is probably, yeah. pr probably good because you get priority over everyone when you have cancer. Cancer is like the C word over here. Like now it's Corona, but it used to be cancer. Like if you got cancer, you're, you're good. Everyone else, um, you know, you've got Parkinson's disease, bye-bye. Like it's this cancer gets priority and everything. But other than that, it's really bad. And the thing, what it creates is this massive bubble of fragility. Like the U.S. is anti-fragile. Shit happens, you know, it, it's always volatile. It's always kind of breaking apart. But, but as, a, as a general system, the U.S. is not going to collapse. Um, you know, some states might collapse. But as a, as a general nation, the U.S. is definitely in a much better position than most yeah. other countries. Canada is super fragile. We don't have any gold in our bank reserves. Our banks have no, um, no assets. Um, the, the personal level of debt in Canada is the highest in the world. Like the can Canadians have the most amount of personal debt and also government debt. We are wow. living on a, a bubble of credit. Um, it's, it's really, really bad. The whole country is falling apart. There's no national unity. Um, and they're, they've been trying to create 
that's why the governments are so into multiculturalism and the politically correct social justice um, movement that's been the Canadian way for like the last 20 years is because there is nothing else. Like if you ask a Canadian, what's, what's Canadian identity? The only thing that people can really say is we're not the U S that's, that's the one thing that people say oh, wow. is we got free healthcare and we're not the U S there's nothing for us to be united on. Um, in Quebec, we have, you know, our cultural heritage and, and Francophone legacy, which, which is why Quebec works relatively well uh, compared to Canada. Um, but no, I, there, there is still a lot of uh, poverty in, in Montreal and in Canada. Like when I, you know, the, the first kind of uh, consistency for Bitcoin that I saw was young black men. That was the first consistency to Bitcoin. And it was overwhelmingly young black and Arabic um, uh, North African men. Um, and this was the same thing that happened in other physical spaces in the world. Uh, including uh, a few that I visited personally. This is always a discussion that we would have in kind of private to be like, hey, who's, who's coming to middle of late, late 2014? And it was because the kids in the ghetto were using Bitcoin for um, fake credit cards for, to buy stuff, right? So that was like a really prominent first use case of Bitcoin. And I mean, we can talk about it now because it's a while back yeah. and this is not what Bitcoin is about anymore. But um, you, you had all these these really, really ghetto kids that couldn't afford anything and they would buy fake credit cards and stolen credit cards on the dark web and they would straight up just buy clothing with them and they would line up at the Bitcoin ATMs and I was like, wow. <laughs> like, there are people like, who won't retweet this show because they don't want to, they don't think we should just sweep under the rug our history like the whole libertarian roots, anarchist roots, Silk Road, like it's just all bad and, you know. It happened. It, it happened. Like, what, what can you say? What can yeah, you do? Well, it just happened. Yeah. Not glorifying it, but we need to document and chronicle it. No, no, absolutely. And the point of what I'm saying is, you know, Bitcoin is not reserved for the elites. The opportunity of Bitcoin, I mean, the opportunity behind Bitcoin is not to buy fake credit cards, just be honest, but it's not, it's not inaccessible at all. Like anybody could use Bitcoin if they wanted to. And then the other, the other, and the other constituency that's not, not talked about at all is sex workers. Like sex workers were a huge huge components in Bitcoin's early economy because they were not, sex workers were not able to purchase online advertisements. Girls gone Bitcoin, all the, yeah. the Bitcoin sex cam, uh, uh, cam girl sites, all, yeah. I forget the names, but they were all, I don't see, you don't hear about them anywhere. Like, I don't know what happened, but that, that was that, such an early part. Backpage. Like that, that was, was, Backpage was, was back page. I remember. Back, but what's funny was that was the, the early community yeah. too. Like the early yeah. community it was not taboo in the Bitcoin forums or on the, you know, the early R Bitcoin to talk about, like to cross post girls gone Bitcoin, you know, uh, can't do that anymore. You know, you can't, it's, it's, so, it's just different worlds. It, it, when people talk about OGs, like they don't have the same OGs in mind as I do. Cause, uh, and we, we still laugh about this, you know, uh, when we saw, when we saw sex workers and, and, you know, teenage ghetto boy skaters that, you know, are buying weed or something. And they were like, we knew that Bitcoin was going to be a million bucks one day. I mean, we didn't, we didn't yeah. really believe it. Now, now, now I believe it for sure. But back in the days, like, you know, it was, oh, maybe Bitcoin is going to be 10 grand. You know, yeah. we saw Trace Mayer, Trace Mayer was saying it was going to be 10 grand. Now we know it. Now we know it. <laughs> but we kind of imagined that one Bitcoin would be worth, you know, like many houses. You could buy multiple houses with a Bitcoin in the future. You know, the math is quite simple. And we were just like, oh, look at all these, look at all these people. Like, they're, 
if they keep the loose change of the Bitcoin they're buying, because they're buying like four Bitcoins now, they're buying three Bitcoins, you know, Bitcoin's like a hundred bucks or yeah. something. They're buying 500 bucks. It's like, if they keep the loose change, they're going to be rich. You know, it's the Bitcoin bearing class. And then the, the one thing that really propelled me in Bitcoin was, was Backpage actually, was, was Backpage uh, uh, censoring the credit card payments and the passive card payments. Um, so for those who don't know, and you know, if you're with your girlfriend right now, just obviously say you don't know what Backpage is. Uh, Backpage was the uh, uh, was a classified site, and it's kind of like Craigslist. Um, and it's, it was it's, a, it's sh- to Craigslist. Yeah, it's to it's to Craigslist what like Silk Road was to eBay or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is they do not censor sex ads. Um, and uh, the founders of Backpage are actually it's quite a, they're kind of amazing pair of people. Um, very interesting story, the story of Backpage, but they, they were newspaper guys. Um, they were, uh, that, that made money with classifieds back when classifieds were a thing, like paper classifieds. Um, but, uh, hence the name back page of the website, cause it's the back page of the, the paper where the classifieds oh, were. Oh, interesting. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you would have all sorts of like sex stuff, right? So, um, massage, erotic massages and, you know, just escorts really, let's be honest. It was just escorts were advertising there. And then yeah. they got sued by the Chicago sheriff or something. And then um, uh, they won the lawsuit against the Chicago sheriff. Uh, but these are massacred and pay yeah. All these payments companies decide to Once shut you're them on up. their radar, you're going down. Yeah. And they knew they were yeah. going down too. Yeah. So um, before they got censored by the other payments companies, and I was writing on my blog, and I, and, you know, I kept having like a bunch of sex workers coming in once every couple of weeks, and they would be like, "How do I use Bitcoin?" And and I, and then I would kind of be like, "Okay, so here's this like 23 year old blonde girl that." You know, I, I'm not going to judge, but she's probably a hooker because she looks like a hooker. Uh, there's, you know, you can sometimes tell, you know, and then yeah. I'm just like, why, why do you, what are you doing with Bitcoin? I'm just curious, man. Um, and then they started to tell me, oh, where is this, this webpage where I advertise my, my work, my job? And I'm like, okay, interesting. So I wrote this blog post, like how to buy Bitcoin and use them for Backpage. And I was good at SEO. Uh, uh, so I knew how to write a good SEO um like blog posts. So I, I read this blog post and then Backpage from one day to the next, they just shut down every payment method yep. except Bitcoin. And I had my phone number on the blog post because the Bitcoin embassy had its own phone number for contacting in case you wanted advice on, you know, what wallet you wanted to do stuff like a free, toll free phone number. And then Backpage put like my article on their website and they're like, Hey, if you, if you need help with Bitcoin, oh, just call wow. these times. And I was like, Fuck. <laughs> because back then yeah. had like I don't know how many, but multiple hundreds of thousands of users that were yeah. buying that would pay for ads, and almost all of them were were sex workers, and then they're all just suddenly calling me, being like, "What the fuck is going on? I need to work. I need to get my fucking ads on that site because I got my kids to feed, and." The saying, I need to buy Bitcoin. Are you Mr. Bitcoin? Can, can I buy some? And they would be calling me from the US. You know, it was overwhelmingly from the States. There was also Canada, but it was almost... So I got these these sex workers from, you know, Florida, Georgia, Arkansas. They're just all calling the Bitcoin and deceiving like, we need help, sir. We need help to buy Bitcoin. What do I do? What do I do? So, I mean, that's when I was like, okay, there's this overwhelming demand <laughs> for Bitcoin. Like, what am I going to do about this? So that's when I launched the early version of bull bitcoin actually the before bull bitcoin was bull bitcoin it was called bitcoin outlet and we had yeah. this online brokerage 
for the for Canadians because I was selling Bitcoin. Like the part that's missing there in the story is also I was selling Bitcoin for cash at the Bitcoin Embassy. So at some point we started we incorporated as a business and we started to sell Bitcoins for cash at the physical counter and we were selling a lot of Bitcoins. Like let's yeah not it, it was it was definitely not a small the biggest. amount. No, it was not a small amount. It was it was a lot of clients. I mean, you know, multiple dozens of clients a day coming in to buy Bitcoin. Um, think of the world's largest Bitcoin ATM. Uh, that's kind of like what we were. And people would come in and they would be like, hey, I'll drive to Montreal to buy Bitcoin. They would like, be like, hey, I'll drive from New York City. I'll drive from Chicago. I'll fly in from Vancouver to buy Bitcoin from you guys. And I was like, what? Really? Why? It's like, well, because, you know, you've got your face on the website. And like, I saw your YouTube video. You guys are... And that's, that's what we're talking about. Like, you know, uh, we trust you guys because, you know, it, it doesn't matter if the website's shitty. Like, they see you have a physical location. It. We have a physical location. So so we'll fly over to you. We'll, and I'm like, you can't do that. That's, that's nuts. It's going to cost you a thousand bucks. And say, hey, like, maybe it's going to cost me a thousand bucks, but I want to buy like eight grand worth of Bitcoin. And, you know, if I go to the Bitcoin ATM here, I'm, I'm going to be paying 10% anyway. So might as well go to you guys. You Is, know, you're charging two, two or three percent or something that- like these, the the new regulations and things that you're now going through. Because now you're like running a regulated comp, a financial institution. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you like that, or is that future? Do you see yourself in that role in the future? Because now that you are, you almost like if you go out on Twitter and say like "fuck Canada," you could potentially not lose your license, but piss someone off, and then your now your business is at stake. Not that you would, of course, but uh, do you see yourself in the future being in this role? Um, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't change much for me to be, to be, to be honest. I actually, I actually like from a, just from a lifestyle point of view, I like being regulated just because I'm, I'm a little tired after all these years in Bitcoin and I, I don't really feel like hustling anymore. And, um, and, uh, I, I like the idea of having something that's stable, but no, I mean, I can still say, fuck you, Canada, all I want. And I, I can, I can even say it, uh, louder now because I don't, I don't have a, um, I don't have any fear of not having this license. And in Canada, it's actually not bad at all. It's really not like the US. Like we don't even have licenses. Um, anybody can sell Bitcoin. When you're regulated, it just means that you need to um, uh, keep records and uh, report suspicious transactions, but you don't need a license to operate an exchange. Uh, you just need to comply with the, 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 the practices that they set out. Um, so I can, I can still say, I can still say fuck you. And I can say fuck you even louder now because I, I feel more <laughs> confident being, being, being regulated. Um, but for sure, when you were unregulated, it was, it was another time. Very it was a different it was world. Hard. Yeah. It, it was a, a different world. It was very stressful also. And the cash business and Bitcoin is very different than, so Bull Bitcoin has never dealt with cash since I incorporated my company. Yeah. I said like, um, I decided to quit the cash stuff. Um, you know, after Backpage, uh, after doing like, after the Backpage explosion, um, we were working like nonstop, like, uh, we, we basically plugged our phone number to this, uh, SMS software. And we had like five, six people working like 12 hours a day, answering text messages, um, helping basically hookers from all over the world, install red wallets and install mycelium and install electrum. And, um, in places that they weren't from Canada, we would direct them to go on Paxful. We would direct um, we would have this director of Bitcoin ATMs and we would help these girls like buy Bitcoin um, because th- that's like the one thing also that really changed my mind about Bitcoin a lot was they, it's, it's, it's weird to have like people crying, crying yeah. saying like, this is really complicated. I just need to feed my kids. 
I just need to feed my kids, sir. Like I got to work. And you, by um, work, they, mean they, they need to prostitute themselves, but they can't get clients unless they get their ads on Backpage. And like, like, sir, like, I can't pay. I like physically I'm being censored out of my job. I need your help. And it, it was really emotional. It, 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 and that's when you realize yeah. like, and that's a part of the like fee situation with Bitcoin, like the transaction fees. That's when I was like, fuck the transaction fees. Like who gives a fuck about the transaction fees? Seriously, because my point at the time was, hey, like that, that lady is paying 10 bucks for 20 bucks of Bitcoin at the local Bitcoins guy. She does not care about 60 cents transaction fee. She wants that payment to go from point A to point B and, and she's censored. And nothing else is going to work. She can't. So censorship resistance has has a cost, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it absolutely does. I think I I read that on your on your like on your Twitter, your blog, that quote or something. You know, censorship resistance yeah. has a cost. How can people follow your Twitter and everything like that? What's what's uh, your Twitter and your blog? Just at, at Francis Pouliot underscore. Um, and everything's on my Twitter now. I don't blog anymore. I've, I've fell into the, the the dopamine addiction of Twitter. So if it that's, doesn't fit, like my, my brain starts to think in you know 240 character. I'm, I'm when I write a tweet, I'm always exactly on the limit because my brain's just conditioned to think in these kind of small small bursts of memes and viral ideas. But um, yeah. So so the whole back page uh, uh, saga was really illuminating for me as to what the and it was illuminating to me first of all because we would never recommend the hosted wallet or custodial wallet. never it was always bread wallet and it was always mycelium at the time and oh yeah i remember those two and, and people were were fine with it like as as long as you got this this little help in the beginning about you know write down the words and put your pen and and stuff like that people were fine with it it was okay and we're talking about like the kind of people that you would think they're never going to be able to use Bitcoin. Um, the kind of demographics that are like, there's no way these, these people have problem with emails. Like they're not going to be good with Bitcoin. They were so good with Bitcoin. And then this overwhelming demand, which was like, I don't need to sell this thing. Like people are going to buy Bitcoin because they need to eat. Like that's the yeah. killer app. It's the killer app of Bitcoin is being able to feed yourself. Like people the don't get that. Like the killer like, app of Bitcoin is its existence. Exactly. It's a hundred percent. Yeah. There's two no, killers of Bitcoin. It's like inflation is going to eat your savings away, and you're not going to be able. It's to not spend going money. to. It is. We're, it we're is. living and through it now. Yeah. Uh, but absolutely. Francis, um, I just want to thank you for your time and everything, and because um, I got to run, and um, I'd love to have you back on the show again and 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 talk to you soon. And um, can you just repeat your Twitter account one more time? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Twitter account is at Francis Pouliot with another score at the end, and uh, I have the I'm not an impersonator. And uh, feel free to just DM me uh, if I follow you, or if you keep replying and liking my tweets enough, I'll eventually follow you. I like following there random people go. on Twitter. So, hey everyone, thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire 
from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers, and information is power. Power.